Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. We are buying apartments, but we're buying, at the end of the day, a business that just so happens to have real estate associated with it because you still have to know how to manage people. You still have to know how to put in systems and procedures and processes in place. And that really comes from having that successful background in business. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluffy stuff with us today, Dan Hanford. How you doing, Dan? Doing great, Joe. How are you? I am well and looking forward to our conversation. And this is round three with Dan. If you want to hear his best ever advice, well, you can simply click a link in the show notes. Or you can go to episode 1,609. That's where we talk about his best ever advice and talk about more of his background. And if you want to hear about team building, you can go to episode 2,027. The title is Strong Team of Three with Dan Hanford. So if you've got two other partners, or if you're considering having two other partners, then that will be a, a beneficial episode for you to listen to today. We are talking to you passive investors or aspiring passive investors because Dan has three red flags that we're going to talk about when evaluating operators as a passive investor. A little bit about Dan. He's a managing partner with PassiveInvesting.com. They are a national passive equity real estate investment firm based in the Carolinas. They're experienced. They've got properties valued at over $820 million, which consists of at least 3,700 units. And you can learn more about their company at, surprise, surprise, PassiveInvesting.com. So with that being said, Dan, let's talk about red flags as LPs. So both you and I are both LPs as well as GPs. I'll speak for myself now. I'm an LP on nearly 100 deals. So I'm obviously a, a GP, but I'm also an LP. So I love learning from others' experiences as LPs. So this will be an enjoyable conversation for me also. And I know you're an LP on deals. So first off, anything that you want to mention before we get into the specifics of the three red flags that we're going to go over? Yeah. So like you said earlier and just a minute ago, we're both LPs in various projects. 
I'm not at 100 or just under 100 just yet. I'm only about 60, 65, I think right now is where my number is, but I'm getting there. I'm getting there, Joe. Um, <laughs> but I do this for the same reason that you do it. Yes, the returns are nice. You want to see the cash flow. You want to see the bump in the end when we sell. But one of the real main reasons why I like to do it is to be able to kind of see how other people do things. And oddly enough, there have been some things that I've seen other people do that I'm like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. And there's been probably more things that people do. And I go, yeah, I want to make sure I don't do that. Right. So there's been experiences on both sides of it, being an LP and other people's projects. So it helps me be a kind of build up my investor relations process and management for our passiveinvesting.com team. But before we dive into these three red flags that we're going to talk about today, we really need to kind of define what a red flag is. Because sometimes people think of a red flag as just like, oh, let's just stop and think about it. But it's really not. That would be a yellow flag in my book. We need to like pause and go, okay, at least I know that's there. But then I need to maybe just think about it a little bit further as to whether or not I want to move forward. A red flag truly is a big red stop sign is really what it should be. And if one of these three red flags are present, you shouldn't do the deal. You shouldn't put your money as an LP with an operator that has one of these red flags present. Now, the red flags that I've come up with that we're going to talk about today are my experience with my wife and I investing our own cash as an LP in other people's projects and also from just learning from other people about what we want to put in place for us. So this might not be something that is exact for everybody out there, but it'll give you a good starting point for being able to start your own type of a red flag list where if you see some of these certain things present, you just stop doing any more research and you just move on to the next investment because there are plenty of other operators out there and plenty of other investments that are out there that you can put your money into at this point in time. Okay. Thank you for teeing that up. And now let's talk about the first one. So the very first one, the red flag itself is an operator that has no successful background in business. It doesn't necessarily mean that all the managing partners that are part of it, like if you have two or three managing partners, all of them have to have some sort of successful background in business. That's not necessarily true, but at least one of them on the team should have a successful background in business. And I'm not just talking about background in business, right? Because you and I both know people, Joe, that have had a background in business, but it wasn't very successful. They had a good background in business and running it into the ground. And we don't necessarily want to be operating with somebody like that. We want to make sure we're investing with somebody that has run a business successfully because in any business, there's going to be challenges. And it's how you handle and overcome those challenges is how you can prove to your investors, whether this is your very first syndication that you're trying to do, or if it's your 10th one, you want to make sure that your investors know that you know how to run a business because at the end of the day, we are buying apartments, but we're buying at the end of the day, a business that just so happens to have real estate associated with it because you still have to know how to manage people. You still have to know how to put in systems and procedures and processes in place. And that really comes from having that successful background in business. So I want to make sure I'm understanding something because there's a distinction here that is important. So are you saying a successful background in business or are you saying a successful background running a business? I would say that it could be either or. However, the in business, there has to have been some form of leadership role. You couldn't have just been a technician or a worker or whatever, and you were the one doing all the work, but you didn't really make any leadership or management decisions. So if you're in business and you have a leadership position and where you had to make difficult decisions, you had to lead a team one way or another, you made those difficult decisions. That's really the critical thinking that I think is important for a syndication business is having that ability to lead 
So whether you were a leader in the business or whether you owned the business, obviously being the owner of the business, there's a lot more on you than just being the leader or being a management role, if you will. But I would say either one of those would be a good, solid background for somebody when you're investing with them. We'll get back to the show in a few minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll get some value in learning more about. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive Invest investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Mark your calendars for the best ever conference February 24th through 26th back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. You can get 15% off right now with the code BEC15 at besteverconference.com. That's the code BEC15 for 15% off at besteverconference.com. And the successful part. So I think there are two groups of people because as it relates to what we just made the distinction on, either they were in a business or they are running a business. So let's just talk about first successful in a business. So it's not their business, but they're successful in a business. The one thing I can think of is looking them up on LinkedIn and seeing, okay, they were at this company for X amount of time and they got promotions clearly, at least according to LinkedIn, whether that's true or not. But I would think typically that's true because you'd have other people at the company who can call BS on that if it's not true. Any other way for people who were W-2 employees but are now presenting this syndication to me as an LP, how do I determine how successful they were? How do I qualify that? or even yeah. quantify that, how they were as W-2 employees. Yeah. Well, I will say that it, it is challenging to actually figure out exactly whether or not they were successful in that role. And one of the best ways you can find out is just to ask the person. And yes, they could lie to you, right? But to me, most people, if you ask them, they're going to tell you what they did, right? And you can usually just tell by what they did or what, the, what role they were in as to whether or not they were successful or not. Were they seen successful or were they seen successive promotions, right? Because if there are successive promotions, you know they were probably doing something right, correct? If they got promoted and then just kind of stayed in that same position for many, many years and maybe didn't get, have a, see a lot of success, move up the ladder a little bit, maybe they didn't see as much, right? So it is a little bit harder to really quantify the success, if you will, for somebody who's working in the business. And then even if you kind of just kind of go straight into the, somebody who owns their own business, what's the success of that? Obviously, again, asking them and saying, hey, how can you describe to me about how you ran that business? How successful was it? And they should be able to talk to you about numbers and 
could be challenges that they had. And that's maybe something you could do too is, is ask them, like, what kind of challenges have you had in business and how did you overcome them? Did you just kind of roll up in the fetal position and suck your thumb and cry? Or did you really kind of tackle it head on? And if you wanted to take it another step further, obviously you could ask for references, but one of the things that I've always found with references is that no one's going to give you somebody's name that is going to talk bad about them. And so that to me is even not as beneficial than just asking somebody, hey, what kind of success have you had? Did you grow your company from X to X in two years or five years or 10 years or whatever it was? And what kind of challenges did you have along the way? But I will say it is, it is a little bit harder to quantify that success. And what would be a reason why someone who was successful running a business would leave that business and do a different type of business model, like doing a syndication? Well, I look at my own background in business. I still have them today. I have a group of non-surgical orthopedic medical clinics that my wife and I started from scratch and they're 100% debt-free. They cash flow very nicely. We've built those clinics up and we have a great solid team of about 40 employees that run that for us now. And we've actually built that business to a point where it's 95% passive at this point, right? So we don't go into the clinics every day. We don't do everything, but we wanted to keep more of what we earned. So we stepped out of that business and went into the real estate space. And that's kind of how PassiveInvesting.com got started when we merged Danny Randazzo and Brandon Abbott. All three of us came together and started PassiveInvesting.com to be able to help other people that maybe have a successful business and they don't really want to get out and do something different. They want to stay in it. We can kind of help them invest their hard-earned money to be able to increase their return and grow their wealth. What's the second red flag? The second red flag that I would bring up today is about managing partners. The red flag itself is anybody who has only one managing partner. And the reason why I always say more than one managing partner and obviously, I think the preference is at least two, but ideally three, obviously, because I'm... Now, why have, is that ideally three? <laughs> I say three because for our group, it's great. We have three managing partners and we have all these three different lanes, but I would say at least two. But of course, with our group, we have three. I think it's a great number, but I say at least two unrelated people, meaning that you couldn't be a husband and wife, right? Because they could possibly go on a trip to Mexico one day and fall off a cliff and you never hear from them again, right? So, and really kind of where we came up with this was not from our own experience, but it was with somebody else that we knew who had an experience where they invested $200,000 of their own money in an investment. And they actually convinced one of their friends to bring in and invest $200,000 in that deal with an operator. And within about six months, the operator disappeared and they can't call him. They can't text him. They tried to go to his house. They tried to go to the property management company. And nothing. Property management didn't have any communication with the person and they just couldn't find him. And of course, how do they get access to their return or their money or their property or something like that? And so they had to go through this long court process to try to get access to their funds. And for one, they had one of the things that's in the operating agreement is that they had to arbitrate before they go to court, right? Well, how do you arbitrate with somebody you can't find? So to avoid all of these issues, I say at least two managing partners that are unrelated. And that way, if for some reason somebody has a problem, you can always get access to somebody else, right? 
then obviously as the team grows, it obviously makes the investors feel even more comfortable because I know your team has grown quite a bit. You know, we just hired on our 30th team member that works full-time for us. So even if all three of the managing partners went out, there's 27 other people now that they can reach out to to try to find somebody. But with this particular group, it was a new syndicator. He was pretty much the only one running the ship and he went ghost on them. And to this day, they still haven't found him. So it's been quite a battle for them. I think they're still going through this process to try to get access to it. So that would be the second red flag is really only one managing partner. What's the downside to having three managing partners? (laughs) Well, I'd say right now, I don't really have any downsides. I think one of the downsides that could come about when you have three managing partners is if you have managing partners that do not have complementary skill sets. And this also is kind of the same thing when you have any more than just one, right? If you have Mm -hmm. two, three, four, five, right? I think four and five is getting to be too many. More than five is always way too many. It's too many cooks in the kitchen, right? But even with two or three, you can partner with somebody that does not complement your own skill sets and it could cause conflict. And the tendency for us as humans is we like to hang out with people that like the same things as us. So you go to a conference, you meet somebody that likes to do underwriting, and you start talking geeky underwriting stuff, and you guys just hit it off. Let's partner together, right? And the problem is, is that down the road, you start to butt heads about how you want to do underwriting. And then you realize, wait, we need to have somebody that does investor relations. We need to have somebody that's doing the marketing. We need to have somebody that's doing the asset management, all these different additional pieces of the the puzzle. And so that's a lot of times why partnerships, not even just in real estate and in this stuff, but just in business in general is where partners get together and they don't have complementary skill sets. So when you're trying to find that other partner to partner with, try to find somebody that does not like to do the same things that you do. So if you like to do underwriting, find somebody that likes to do on-site due diligence and asset management and broker relations and investor management. So I would say the biggest downside for any type of a partnership, whether it's two or three or four or five, is having partners that do not have those complementary skill sets. Number three. So I would say number three is when you look at distributions as return of capital versus return on capital. So the actual red flag would be distributions as return of capital. And it's one of those things where you really have to watch carefully on a lot of the PPMs because it's literally one letter different, on versus off. And for us, not just for us, but in general, it's better to have return on capital with distributions versus return of capital. And the main reason why is because if you think about your preferred returns, the preferred returns are based off of the unreturned capital contributions, which is you put in $100,000 and you're getting your preferred return off that $100,000. If you have a, let's just say a 7% preferred return, so you're given $7,000 the first year, if it's a return of capital, now that unreturned capital contribution balance goes from $100,000 to $93,000. So now your preferred return is actually based off of a lower amount. And so over time, your preferred return actually goes down. So it certainly benefits the operator, but it does not benefit the LP. Now, the operator will many times try to convince the LPs that it's actually better for you from a tax perspective, because from a tax perspective, if it's returning of your capital, then you're not going to pay more taxes on it because we're just giving you back the capital that you put in. 
But the thing is, is it doesn't really advantage me because I'm going to be balancing out in the end when we sell anyway. And in the, along the way, I'm getting negative paper losses, like K1s with negative passive losses with the depreciation. That's going to offset my return on capital distributions anyway. So both ways have similar tax advantages, and they're going to both balance out in the end anyway. So really, the return of capital for distributions is really only benefiting the operator. So from an LP's perspective, you have to look very carefully at that because a lot of times that's just another way for operators to kind of, I want to say sneak in, if you will, a juicing of their own returns by having distributions classified as return of capital. And where would that be located? So the best way to do this, I'll just kind of share with you real quick how I review deals. The first thing I do is I get the PPM. And I just search in the PPM for distributions. And there's usually two, sometimes three, what they call distribution waterfalls. There's the cash flow waterfall for what happens to all the cash that comes in during the whole period. And then there's going to be a, when you sell the property or when you do a refinance, what happens to that cash? And so I go there and I look exactly what's going to happen. Okay, first, this is going to happen. Second, this is going to happen. And usually inside of that language, it'll actually state, that the distributions will be classified as return of capital or return on capital. And so you can kind of determine how they're actually going to classify your distributions so that you know exactly how they're going to classify those distributions. We'll get back to the show in a few minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll get some value in learning more about. How are you doing on your goals this year, whether it's planning for your goals or whether it's executing on those goals? I imagine one of them has to do with financial freedom, taking control of your finances. And I can tell you that is a possibility within the next one to three years using a proven system created by my friend, Michael Blanc. He's got the program Deal Maker Mentoring. Here are some of his students who have been in the program and what they've accomplished. Melanie McDaniel, she closed her first 24-unit joint venture deal and is now pivoting to become full-time in the industry. Within five months of joining, Cheryl Groovy from Atlanta, she had a 34-unit deal under contract, and she partnered with two other deal-maker mentoring students, and together they raised $700,000. And Brian Briscoe, he said thanks to deal-maker mentoring, he had the opportunity to accelerate his timeline and go after much bigger deals than he would have on his own. If you are ready to commit to achieving your dreams this year and you've been thinking about getting into multifamily, well, text the word Joe to 66866. Again, that's the word Joe. You know how to spell my name, right? J-O-E to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind, and let's get you started with your own syndication business. Deals and money. We are constantly seeking deals and money as real estate investors, and I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success in real estate. And Follow-Up Boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals or you can follow up with your investors and you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners, then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed.
missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Follow Up Boss offers experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial, twice the length of the normal trial. For a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. Anything else that we haven't talked about as it relates to these three red flags that you think we should before we wrap up? I think we've pretty much hit it on these three red flags. And the biggest thing I would say is, is these are red flags that I've come up with from my wife and I going in and investing with other people. And these are three things that you can go study them and, and figure out for yourself how you want to do things. But these are true red flags for us and our family of like, these are present, we're not going to invest. And so you just have to take these, study them. And I would suggest that everyone who's listening come up with their own red flags so that when they're looking at investments, they know what these red flags are and also as your family grows, if you have children or whatever, start to teach them some of these different things and walk them through them so that they can fully understand it along the way as well. And I'm kind of doing the same thing with my daughter. She actually is investing in a couple of our assets through me. She's not an accredited investor yet, but she's investing through me. And I'm teaching her how she can invest and kind of get some of these types of returns. And with these investments, I have her a minimum investment of $1,000. So once she gets $1,000, she can invest and she's got two of them so far and she's worked on her third one. Wow. How old is she? She's 11. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? Sure. You can go to our website I mentioned earlier, passiveinvesting.com. Or if you want to link with me, you can go to linkwithdan.com. Linkwithdan.com just goes straight over to my LinkedIn profile. Dan, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for sharing these three red flags or stop signs, as you mentioned, and talking through them each in detail. Hope you have the best ever day and talk to you again soon.